The presidential motorcade has just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. So we're finally moving out of Syria. And this has made a lot of the establishment GOP uh, proponents kind of uh, a little uneasy. Not really happy. Because they think, well, you're leaving the Kurds. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. If you've known anything about my show, I have a healthy curiosity for what's going on in Syria. Because back when President Obama was still in power, we, friends of mine, we couldn't make sense of it. We're like, what, what is going on? What happened with Syria? Why did ISIS become such a thing? And that's basically because the United States, the theory is there's competing pipeline interest of natural gas. One pipeline was uh, an Iranian, Russian pipeline that went through. Turkey would benefit. The other was the French, the British, I think even the UAE, and we would help, and it would go through Syria. And that made Assad kind of mad. <laughs> and we aided Al-Qaeda, believe it or not, they're called Al-Nusra, because we were aiding the free Syrian army. So what we were doing was we were aiding the resistance movement in Syria but that resistance movement was being co-opted by al-Qaeda terrorists, otherwise known as al-Nusra. And so we were de facto helping al-Qaeda, which is unbelievable. Of course, I found a Business Insider uh, uh, article that basically said the rationale for doing that would benefit us because we would be eliminating Assad, but then at the same time, we would be keeping al-Qaeda busy in their lands to where they wouldn't plot against us. <laughs> Makes no sense to me. But so we were helping the free Syrian army. And every time there was a gas attack, they tried to blame it on Assad. From my findings and research, and this is Amnesty International. This is actual news reports. The UN's reports that came out on, on it later. Typically, Al-Qaeda would gas a neighborhood, Al or Al-Nusra, and Assad would catch the blame, and then the Free Syrian Army, with Al-Qaeda in it, would be aided to go further. Well, ISIS was the resistance to Al-Qaeda, because ISIS was even more militant, and they were wanting to establish the caliphate as hard as they can, so they stepped into the void wherever Assad was beaten back. And so ISIS was starting to be beaten back by Assad and Assad was getting help for Russia and Iran because Iran was trying to use Syria as a proxy military headquarter to put pressure on Israel. So it gets really convoluted, really insane. But ISIS was beaten back to a little town called Idlib. And uh, Idlib is, uh, I believe, on the northern border and it's near Turkey. So ISIS gets beaten back to just one town. They're relinquished of all the towns that they seized over the course of Obama's tenure. And with the help of the Kurds in Syria, we backed the Syrian Kurds. We backed the free Syrian army. We did whatever we could to beat back ISIS. And so now ISIS is barely a handful of people. They are still there. They're in hiding. They didn't just give up and go away. They weren't all killed. You know, they're still there. They're just not as prevalent. And so now President Trump has decided, hey, let's go ahead and move our military forces out of there. And then that's where the outrage came from, where people um, are saying, I can't believe we're abandoning the Syrian Kurds. You know, they're... Mitt Romney gets up there and, 
and complains and, and talks about how we're abandoning the Syrian Kurds. This is just an Amash. Listen to this. President Trump is not ending any war. He insists on keeping American troops in Syria in violation to our Constitution. He's simply moving troops out of a specific area and greenlighting Turkey's attack on the Kurds and others who have helped combat ISIS. Just more war. <laughs> Chris Murphy, I don't know why so many Republicans are so bent out of shape of Trump's statements about double-crossing the Kurds. Clearly, he's not serious. It's the media's fault for believing anything he says is the policy of the United States, right? <laughs> this guy. Of course, Nikki Haley, she had said some things about everything going on in Syria. She basically blasted out that uh, we must always have the backs of our allies if we expect them to have our back. The Kurds were instrumental in our success, our successful fight against ISIS in Syria. Leaving them to die is a big mistake. Hashtag Turkey is not our friend. I agree Turkey's not our friend. But the free Syria, I mean, uh, the Syrian Kurds, they're kind of not really our friends, but they are. You know, we, we have shared interest. I think they've warmed up to us now, but, you know, what we have to realize is this isn't the same Kurds as the Kurds in Iraq. People keep making that, people keep losing that distinction. The Kurds in Iraq, the majority of them, they want their own democratically held country set apart from Iraq, Kurdistan. And the Kurds over there are, you know, the Peshmerga. They're more friendly to America. But the Syrian Kurds, yes, they are Kurds. They are a different kind of Kurd. They are Marxist. They believe in a Marxist ideology. This is Jordan Schachtel. But the Kurds is a virtue signal, not a policy proposal. So he means, but the Kurds, you know, we're always going, but the Kurds, we can't leave them. So Jordan Schachtel saying, but the Kurds is basically virtue signaling. It's not a policy proposal. Step up your game and explain why American troops should be stationed in Northern Syria in perpetuity to protect the status quo. That is an expanding Iranian client state. Exactly. If you don't get into the nuts and bolts, you just go, oh, the Kurds. Oh, yeah, we heard the Kurds like America, and we helped the Kurds. So we're going to be basically throwing them under the bus if we leave them. No, you're actually siding with an organization that also trains Antifa rebels. Believe it or not, you can see pictures of the Kurds with weapons and their flag. And then you see a nice little anti-fascist action flag. Hmm. Yeah, anti-fascistike atcon. You see all these different, you know, uh, Antifa flags. Because Antifa is a global organization based in Marxism. <laughs> so let's, let's get into some of the nuts and bolts here. Let's pull up a little article that will kind of give a little bit of an explain, uh, ex explanation to the whole thing. This is uh, from Oriental Review. It's an open dialogue research journal. Neo-Marxism and the New Middle East. This is back in 2017. One of the most curious quirks of recent history is that self-proclaimed followers of the Cold War era ideology of Marxism are on the upswing two and a half de decades after the dissolution of the Soviet Union. And interestingly enough, they're making on-the-ground progress in the Middle East of all places. This may come as a surprise to casual observers who have been convinced by the mainstream media that the region is only awash with religious radicalism, which, while certainly true, doesn't fully inca uh, incapacitate the whole picture of all the extremism that's active there nowadays. One of the more unexpected outcomes of the 2011 theater-wide color revolutions, popularly known as the Arab Spring, has been that the armed neo-Marxist Kurdish militias eventually ended up going on the offensive against the Syrian, Turkish, and Iranian governments, each for their own uh, purportedly separate reasons, but in reality as part of a U.S.-backed coordinated plan for geopolitically reengineering uh, re the Middle East. In Syria and Turkey, the first thing that should be addressed is the neo-Marxism labeled and in, included in an article's title. The author drew primarily on the stated positions of a manifesto of the Syrian PYD, which is the leading um, 
regional charge for undeclared Kurdish separatism and making the decision to emphasize the ideology that's driving the region's anti-government Kurdish uh, militias, the PYD is a political and ethnic extremist organization which attempts to channel Marxist thought in order to become or in order to impose democratic confederalism. And they want this in Syria, which essentially seeks to dissolve the state through its devolution into a complex quilt of identity-based cantons. The PYD is closely linked to the Turkish PKK, and both organizations claim to be inspired by the late American Marxist Murray Bookchin, who wrote extensively about what he called decentralization. In practice, however, this is pretty much indistinguishable from the political endgame that fundamentalist Marxist secular Wahhabis aspire for, which is the elimination of the state and its replacement with community councils and other non-traditional governing structures. Whether or not this position truly represents conventional Marxism or more general leftist thought is up to those communities themselves and their various uh, other thought leaders to decide. But the labeling of the PYD and the PKK as neo-Marxist is due to their political positions in advocating what the general uh, public conflates, whether rightly or wrongly, with this ideology. Moreover, since they're active in the 21st century and after the Soviet dissolution at the end of the Cold War, the prefix neo is applied to differentiate these organizations and their ideological strands from the classical Marxism that was associated, rightly or wrongly, with that period. The point here isn't to convince anyone that the PYD and the PKK are Marxists, but to rather highlight that this is how they self-identify and to emphasize the ideological motivations behind their militant activity. Expanding past Syria and Turkey, one can see the influence of neo-Marxist Kurdish militant groups in Iraq and Iran. The Allied Patriotic Union of Kurdistan, the PUK, and the Goran opposition parties in northern Iraq's Kurdish regional government, both of which are leftist, are on friendly terms with the PKK. Now, the ruling party, Kurdish Democratic Party, is opposed to the PKK and opposed to Marxism, which is why it enjoys such considerable Turkish support, even though it regularly threatens to pursue independence. That's the part that we're talking about. That's the Peshmerga type. The Kurdish Democrat, Democratic Party wants their own nation, but they don't want it to be built on a Marxist ideology. Going back to the article, um, all of the Iraqi Kurdish groups and their affiliated militias are in support of federalism or separatism to a varying degree and can generally be described as friendly to the U.S. The KPD, obviously much more in both cases than the PUK or Goran, but aren't necessarily neo-Marxist in the context that the article is defining. So he goes on to focus more on the other strands. Amidst this complicated intra-Iraq Kurd drama, however, the pro-Israeli and socialist Kurdish Democratic Party of Iran, that terrorist group has recently found shelter in northern Iraq and begun to periodically launch cross-border attacks against the Iranian border forces. This organization is part of the Congress of Nationalities for a Federal Iran, an umbrella group of various ethno-religious minorities fighting against Tehran in favor of the same board sort of political solution as the PYD and the PKK for federalism. The end goal thus connects the KDPI to its Syrian and Turkish counterparts and can even be said to give it something in common with all of their Iraqi brethren as well, despite some of the latter being reluctant to associate with them, whether openly or in general, due to Iran's understandable, questionable sensitivities. Now, so you're seeing there's a lot of nuance going on. There's a lot of moving parts. But generally, the Syrian Kurds are more Marxist. And the Syrian Kurds have been attacking Turkey for ages. For ages. I mean, <laughs> decades upon decades. Now, what I thought was really interesting is how Lindsey Graham spoke up. Because originally, he popped up and started saying that he didn't want, uh, you know, he was very outspoken about Syria. We know Lindsey Graham has some 
amazing stances on the Middle East. That's why I'm not a Lindsey Graham fan. Just because he speaks up for Trump doesn't mean that he doesn't have some neocon interest over in the Middle East. He, Marco Rubio, John McCain, they were all in that thing. And when Hillary Clinton says, let us be clear, the president has sided with the authoritarian leaders of Turkey and Russia over our loyal allies in America's own interests. His decision is sickening betrayal of both the Kurds and his oath of office. We know that that's all the more reason we should get out of there. Now, Lindsey Graham did kind of come to an interesting conclusion. He said he just spoke to Chris Van Hollen about the situation in Syria. We will introduce bipartisan sanctions against Turkey if they invade Syria and will call for their suspension from NATO if they attack Kurdish forces who assisted the U.S. in the deconstruction of the ISIS caliphate. Hopefully, we can expect sanctions against Turkey if necessary, and that would be veto-proof. This decision to abandon our Kurdish allies and turn Syria over to Russia, Iran, and Turkey will put every radical Islamist on steroids, a shot in the arm to the bad guys, devastating for the good guys. But what I'm thinking is that's the appropriate reaction. That's what we need to be doing. We don't need to be using our forces over there because they've ISIS has been beaten back to Idlib. Assad has control of his nation again, whether you like it or not. And Assad hasn't really, have you heard of any gassing? Any gassing going on? I haven't. Funny how the gassing has kind of diminished in correlation with the diminishment of ISIS and the removal of Al-Qaeda. So, uh, I don't know. But I think Syria, whatever they were trying to do with Syria has reversed completely. And at this point, it's time for us to back out and, and focus on bigger issues at hand. We've got to worry about China. We've got to worry about, um, you know, many other things, Russia's influence. The, these are things we have to worry about. We shouldn't be fixated with Syria and turning it into a global proxy war. And so now Donald Trump has to weigh in on what the concept of what Lindsey Graham was talking about. His tweets crack me up. As I have stated strongly before, and just to reiterate, if Turkey does anything that I, in my great and unmatched wisdom, consider to be off limits, I will totally destroy and obliterate the economy of Turkey I've done before. They must, with Europe and others, watch over the captured ISIS fighters and families. The U.S. has done far more than anyone could have ever expected, including the capture of 100% of the ISIS caliphate. It is time now for others in the region, some of great wealth, to protect their own territory. The USA is great, in capital letters. <laughs> in his unmatched wisdom, it's awesome. So, obviously, he's trying to put pressure out there, to which the vice president of Turkey had some things to say about that as well. But, you know, Trump is putting his bravado out there, as he always does. And on top of his bravado... He also says that, uh, you know, we're going to destroy their economy if they do anything. And uh, the vice president of Turkey basically tweeted out something to the effect of, uh, you know, we're not going to uh, bow to U.S. threats over Syria plans in apparent response to Trump's warning to Ankara. Trump cast his decision to abandon the Kurdish fighters in Syria as fulfilling a campaign promise to withdraw from endless war in the Middle East. That's the Associated Press. But... We told you, yeah, there are allies, and we shouldn't abandon our allies. But at the same time, it's time for them to pick up the mantle and fight. You know, realize the PKK and uh, some of the other offshoots of the Kurds in Syria were firebombing the crap out of Turkey. Suicide bombings, car bombings, uh, various attacks. All this happened before we even got engaged in the, uh, in the whole ISIS debacle. So I think we need to kind of start to ease ourselves off and don't totally abandon them. You know, give them some military support in, in, the, in the form of funds and weapons and what have you. But remember, the main goal would be to give them their own Kurdistan, you know, their own state. Of course, Meghan McCain, because her dad was the neocon. When I say neocon, I'm talking they're the ones that are 
supposedly conservatives, but they want to reshape the world, whether it be the Middle East and what have you. Um, she's been out of shape about everything that happened, and she had to let it be known on The View because The View is going to find any way to make Trump look extremely unlikable. So I'm going alone, but I've been so mad this morning and so upset about this news that we are abandoning our Kurdish allies mm -hmm. in the Middle uh -huh. East. Mm. These are allies of ours that American soldiers are still continuing to fight alongside. All yeah. we did was arm them and they fought for America. Mm -hmm. And right now we're just saying we're just going to leave them and abandon them. Mm -hmm. And to everyone in the White House and every Republican who was mad that President Obama pulled out of Iraq, you feckless, unpatriotic cowards. I cannot believe this is where we're at. Diplomatic line. And I cannot believe this is what, what message is this sending to our allies who have fought alongside us and to our American troops who have fought and died for this. And I cannot believe I'm waking up in the morning seeing this kind of news. And I don't care that he ran on pulling troops out. There's a whole different thing. We leave this. This is a great day for ISIS and this is a great day for Assad. And shame on everyone who is supporting this. Right. And I'm sorry this is not the topic, but I just right. couldn't come out here today and not say this. No, it's, Why, it's very important. And, and it's the play that I've been talking about. This whole, we're abandoning our, our allies. Well, not necessarily. You know, and... I think Jordan Schachtel, who I talked about earlier, he was the foreign policy expert over at Conservative Review. He actually puts it in the right perspective. He says, we live in a bizarre foreign policy environment in which the people who are losing it about supposedly abandoning the Kurds have for years robbed the Kurds of their ambitions for statehood. If you're a true friend of the Kurds, you support the right to self-government. This is not hard. If you care about long-term security of the, of the Kurds, support the creation of a Kurdish state in their ancestral home, homeland. If not, you're subjecting the Kurds to endless persecution at the hands of sectarian regimes. Right. And he actually goes on a little bit further to uh, basically talk about how, you know, if we're doing this, we're kind of just doing a lot of bluster here. You know, one of, <clears throat> one of the things he says... If you're fired up about the strategic dynamics of Syria withdrawal and couldn't care less about what's going on at the U.S. southern border, you need to reexamine your premises and your priorities in the national security space. U.S. policy in Syria, which started under Obama, that armed the PKK, deliberately ignited tensions with Turkey. So Obama's the cause for the tensions with Turkey. Worse, or our, our policy in Syria was advancing Tehran's interest as well. So that's what I was talking about as we were helping, you know, destabilize Syria. Iran was going in and setting up military bases all throughout Syria to pressure Israel. He goes back to say ISIS is largely finished and Syria is now a Tehran client state. U.S. strategy was broken prior to this move. Withdrawing from one area will not change the major dynamics. ISIS will still fail to rain foothold. It will probably reemerge in the future under a different name. And Iran will operate throughout Syria unchecked. Our presence in Syria is not doing much to advance U.S. interest. Exactly. He's like, my point here is that Syria withdrawal is not important enough to make things better or worse for our homeland security. The Syria policy was already a mess. I know that the pundits are screaming from the rooftops, but this will not threaten U.S. national security. Exactly. We need to realize that we're not completely abandoning them. They're still a U.S. presence of sorts. But at this point, it's time for the Syrian Kurds to take up their mantle and push back on Turkey. And sanctions on Turkey and possible removal from NATO, those kind of things can put the pressure on economic pressure uh, through the sanctions. Those kind of things can keep Turkey in check. And Turkey wouldn't have been having a fallen out with the United States if we didn't back the Syrian Kurds in the very beginning. This is Adrian Slade. So London is dealing with a lot of fun right now. They're dealing with a barrage of climate activists disrupting everything in London. It's a group called Extinction Rebellion. They are a non-political movement, right? Non-political, my ass, <laughs> with the stated aim of using civil disobedience to compel government action on climate breakdown biodiversity loss, and the risk of social and ecological collapse. Yeah, that's what they're called. So they decided to do this international rebellion, which began on Monday. 
and there's events all over the place. There's one in Scotland where if you're trying to get a burger in Scotland, apparently climate activists are blocking your way. But one guy, he's getting his burger. He's going to get his burger on. Listen to this. He breaks through the line. He's trying to get into the restaurant and there's all these climate activists blocking the door and he gets through them. <laughs> you don't mess with the Scots. That dude comes rolling through like a raging bull. So yeah, he's going to have his his patty, right? <laughs> um, there's also international rebellions in London. Um, I think they're trying to take this over to New York. But it's it's really these people are insane. This is this is a cult. Listen to these chants. They do this die-in where they're holding signs. I was killed because of climate, you know, CO2, and they're laying all over the place, fake blood all over the ground, and uh, they have these silly chants. What's really amazing is when you see this group of people who are coming down in sort of a religious kind of fashion. They're wearing, looks like nun's robes, but they're red instead of white. And they have the Guy Fox mask and they're rolling through town and they're singing this kind of, uh, I guess, you know, spiritual gospel song about climate justice now. I mean, listen to this garbage. Yeah, that's as ridiculous as it is. Swing low. <laughs> Sweet CO2 coming for to bury me all. <laughs> yeah, this is ridiculous. Extinction Rebellion. And a lot of people in London are not really down for it. It's really kind of amazing to see because you would think that a lot of people would be all over it because London and England is such a progressive enclave. But... There's a couple of audio, uh, I mean, talk radio hosts. Um, one of them is uh, John Whale. He's interviewing this guy, Larch, who is a part of the eco-fascist or the uh, eco-environmentalist activist who are with Extinction Rebellion. And uh, it's a pretty interesting exchange. Food shortages, right? We're facing a risk of food shortages. What's going to happen this winter? Is it going to be warmer are, this winter? Are you aware that... Is it going to be warmer this winter? I yield of our staple. Foods. Is it Are going to be that? warmer this winter? I'm not, you know, like I haven't got a magic. Oh right, ball. okay. But we we can look at the science and we can say every year mm. the last ten years has broken right. the record. Let me ask every you this: we get hotter. If, we know that. That's yeah. what's happening now. If if people 
are not interested and want to just get on with their lives and don't believe a word of what you're saying. And I had That's a look a at... a small minority of people now. 80% of people now recognise we have a climate and ecological emergency. No, no, most no. of them say we need urgent action to address no. it. Well, why, people, aren't you're, they, you're, why aren't they all out on the street with you? We've, we've seen, we, we, why aren't they out on the street with they're you? They're joining us in their droves. That's why we're you still there. Why haven't rubbish. There's, there's hundreds of thousands of people. There are not hundreds up. of thousands of people. There's a couple of thousand down at Trafalgar Square earlier. I said, have signed up to our newsletter. Hundreds of thousands of people are following us on Twitter, signed up to our newsletter, and are getting on board. Millions, millions of people follow Eamon on Twitter, so, you yeah, know, I don't yeah. really think that's going to work yeah. too much. Because he's a beautiful man. Everyone loves him. <laughs> that's um, the first sensible <laughs> thing you've said. I, I had a great chat with him a few weeks back. I think yeah. he's great. Well, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure he's just say anything that makes people feel good. Yeah. Oh, I thought you liked him. He's one of my best friends. Good, good. He'll <laughs> still say anything that makes people feel good. I, on the other hand, think you're talking rubbish. Uh, and the sooner you get off the streets and allow people to get on with their lives, the so better. On, on, what ba on what basis are you saying? So I, I, you know, I, I, on the same basis you're saying... You're saying everything. I read... I read you yeah. you are could be dying of heart. They can't get emergency vehicles through, can they? Yeah, we've been. We told the police months ago that we're going to do this. They, yeah, but you still marathon. blocked arteries of London. It's still going to affect. You wouldn't, them, you wouldn't it? want to stop the marathon because it blocks London, would you? We well, have to I, have the I marathon. think they should. Actually. Yeah, I do. I think the marathon's a waste of time, money, and effort. Try. Yeah. Why are you killed yours? Or yeah. What? Yeah. See, they're pushing back. A lot of people in England are pushing back, and sometimes they don't even need to do the pushback. The pushback happens on itself. Like when you had in England that video of these idiots going to the treasury. We're going to paint the treasury red. We're going to spray paint it red using a fire truck, blowing red dye all over, you know, so they can say, you've got blood on your hands. Uh, yeah, that went entirely wrong. In fact, the hose backfired, blew everywhere, and it didn't even hit the treasury. It hit everybody watching. Everybody walking on the street was covered in red. But now climate change protests are all over New York with fake blood um, extinction rebel uh, rebellion activists are, uh, you know, they're they're getting married in lesbian marriages, which I don't know what that has to do with the environment. Um, they're also they they've said that they're not sorry after the Wiltshire chalk horse was defaced by these idiots. You know, they they continue to cause disruption everywhere, and one of these guys, uh, I think his name is Arthur. Arthur Douglas Murray, he was on with this lady, Julia Hartley Brewer, and they were talking about the disruption and what it's really doing to the lo localities, you know, the hospitals and what have you. Just yeah, listen to this exchange. This is an unalloyed example of fanaticism that we're hearing, uh, fanaticism, which is just undisguisable. Uh, it's been undisguisable in every age, and it's undisguisable in this one when it when it appears people who think that they know so much better than everyone else that they are willing to actually risk the lives of everyone else, uh, willing to cut off hospitals, willing to sort of vaguely think after the fact about things they hadn't thought before they spoke, uh, willing to shut down cities, willing, let's just look at their most important claim, willing to completely immiserate the economy, completely immiserate And this is the 2025... The 2025 zero carbon emission target. This would involve, and again, there's so much to get through. I didn't get to all of it with Donna Kerr McCarthy. Time's always against you in these interviews. But but this this would involve, and again, the Labour policy is 2030, the Tory policy 2050 now. But we are talking about changing our economy so drastically. I mean, to all intents and purposes, unachievable unless, say, for instance, we all will stop having cars, diesel, petrol, even electric cars, stop flying. Uh, stop eating meat, uh, stop heating our homes. We were talking about a mass change in the way we live our lives. Right. And every single thing they claim uh, is either untrue or has absolutely no context to it or can be easily countered by a, a simple point to, to, to highlight something else. For instance, uh, uh, even if their claims about the number of people they claim are dying because of the current situation, which are wild claims even if they were the case look at the fact that the means of, of of global economic growth that we have at the moment the capitalist system which extinction rebellion explicitly says it wants to destroy uh it, it, the that that system of growth has raised 
around a half of people around the world who were suffering from absolute poverty, out of absolute poverty in the first decade of this century alone. Uh, yeah, they're really not really thrilled about it. And I wouldn't be either. You know, if you're going to shut down all of the infrastructure in a city just because you're trying to complain about one-tenth of a degree in warming on the globe or what have you over something that you're not even focusing China on. You're not even holding China to these standards, and they're the biggest culprits. But yet, you're going to throw all of us under the bus and destroy our lives for this alone. But you know what? Cancerish, the cancerous progressivism always eats its own. And this is from News Hub. I kid you not. Greta Thunberg. Remember Greta Thunberg? She's the creepy little 16-year-old with autism. I think she has Asperger's. And she's out there. She went to the UN. Um, she went to the Dakotas. She actually wanted to protest at the pipelines here in the United States. Because even though she took a boat across the ocean blue, that they flew in a couple of uh, captains to sail back so the carbon footprint on that was kind of uh destroyed but she also decided to go to the dakotas and lash out you know because we're coming up on indigenous people's day you know columbus day we're gonna indigenous peoples we're never gonna complain about ponce de leon and and in florida and with the spanish going into mexico nah we're only gonna focus on columbus because it needs to be indigenous people's day but so she decides she's going to come over here ahead of all of this Extinction Rebellion chaos across the world, and she's going to lambaste us at the UN. How dare you? How dare you? Um, my, my childhood was stolen, and so was my future. No, no, you're supported by a big organization, and your parents are pretty well-to-do. Opera singers, activists, are, uh, actors, actresses, whatever. Um, this is from News Hub. Supporting Greta Thunberg is evidence of white supremacy. <laughs> Activists claim support of Greta Thunberg is evidence of white supremacy, white privilege, and white power. The 16-year-old environmental uh, campaigner has gained international visibility for her climate activism, including a fiery speech to world leaders at the United Nations General Assembly, where she accused them of stealing their dreams. However, some are questioning how... how ever why Greta, a white child, is gaining so much attention over indigenous activists. They say that Greta is benefiting from a global system of white supremacy, which has given her privilege and a platform. Wow, this is how they wrote it. Y'all need to ask yourselves why you find it so much easier to hear from white people, regardless of age, when it comes to violence they have caused across the world. No white saviors tweeted. Of course, it's probably the only tweet that you'll see online, but it's given such, such magnification in these outlets. Anyways, it's a symptom of global white supremacy that certain people are heard and given a platform and certain people have access to resources to be the heroes that the world will pay attention to. Greta at the UN was the epitome of white, uh, white privilege slash white power. Save the white kids, another tweeted. Um, others pointed out that the work that people of color have been doing to protect their communities from environmental destruction and say it's been ignored by the focus on Greta. Indigenous people have been warning everyone all over the globe about climate change for decades, one person tweeted. There's no mention of them. Now that, the main, now that this is mainstream, there's just mention of Greta. <laughs> I'm glad to see so many of y'all sharing Greta Thunberg's how dare you message, another tweeted. However, indigenous peoples have been saying this for 500 years so it is not a new message. 500 years? They've been talking about climate change? Uh, I thought the hockey stick went up in the 50s and 60s. White environmentalists are in instead urged to support and raise awareness for the work being done by people like Canadian indigenous teen Autumn Petlier, an advocate for water protection of the Great Lakes, and Little Miss Flint, a youth activist raising awareness of the city of the U.S. city's Flint water crisis. Well, maybe she can go back and find out why they decided to change the water supply, why they didn't check for the infrastructure of the lead pipes in Flint, Michigan. That was all done at the governmental level. So we all know eventually it's going to eat itself. I love that Boris Johnson went back on the Extinction Rebel 
uh, idiots over there in the UK calling them nose ring crusties and hemp smelling bivacus telling them his own father supports their cause is what the UK Daily Mail said. But yeah, he basically called them ring nose crusties. <laughs> I'm telling you, you're going to get the pushback from the Donald Trumps, the Boris Johnsons, the uh, what's his name in Brazil, who was ripping on uh, Macron over there in France, calling his woman ugly, wouldn't take the aid for the Amazon fires. Um, that's what we're dealing with. So, uh, yeah, um, it's only going to get to a fever pitch until we somehow destroy the narratives of these idiots because the climate change is not happening. I don't care what they say. There's so many things out there to disprove it. Now, there may be climate change from extraterrestrial events, you know, the sun changing cycles, things like that. Um, there's weather changes. But to say that man-made climate change is causing the world to end in 10, 12 years, putting people into therapy classes, having kids go out there saying their future is being taken away is from the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's and uh, the people that have been peddling this nonsense for decades. I love the uh, Babylon Bee article that basically said, climate change activists say there's only 12 years left before we change the date of the next climate catastrophe. Yeah, that in a nutshell sums it up. Okay, real quick update. Turkey has decided to go in and commence its operation to remove the uh, PKK and the YPK and and those Kurdish terrorist forces, as well as ISIS. They're looking to decimate ISIS and create a safe zone so that they can bring in those Syrian militants, or I'm not the Syrian, the Syrian civilians in a safe zone so that they could repopulate the place that they were removed from. Now, we can go, okay, Turkey is an Islamic group. I mean, it's a government that's Islamic and in nature that wants to create a caliphate like the Ottoman Empire. Well, they are a NATO ally at this point, and for better, for worse, I know that means very little to me, but there has to be some sort of agreement if you're going to stay in NATO to not take it upon yourself to go against everything that your allies have stated and just decimate all the Kurds. So the jury's still out. We're getting conflicted news stories Remember, the same news media decided to tell us that the Ukraine was being used by President Trump to attack his political enemies when really he was just trying to get to the bottom of an investigation that was going on beforehand. So before we get too wrapped up in the media headlines and just deem Turkey an evil actor, which, you know, I'm not a fan of uh, Erdogan and, and Turkey. I've been really critical about them for quite some years. But let's just see them out. Let's see what's happening because really, we've moved our troops out of the way for various reasons unknown to us. But we do know that this, a good group of the Syrian Kurds are Marxists of nature. Some of them are terrorist groups who antagonize Turkey, even though Turkey wants to eliminate them. This has been a decades, actually centuries long war that we just need to let them hash it out. Now, the Iraqi Kurds. Still want to make sure that they're safe. There is talk of Turkey maybe angling in on them, especially now that Iran has taken over basically Iraq. If that happens, then we need to readdress this situation. So just a real quick update on that. So now in London, we talked about the climate activists basically shutting down the marketplaces, uh, clogging up the streets, uh, causing hospital runs to be close to impossible, all for the name of the climate, and they're acting in irrational ways. We know that there's another incident that has been going on this week that is also uh, really disturbing, and that incident is China. China's influence is huge. Now, right now, the UN is almost out of money. Erdogan in Turkey has talked about taking the capital uh, or the, you know, the, the UN and establishing it in Turkey, in Istanbul. I say go ahead and take it. Either that or, you know, Trump take that property and turn it into a high-rise hotel with golden toilets and what have you. Just get rid of the UN. But maybe China will bail out the UN because everybody seems to be bowing to China. Of course, you probably heard about the NBA. Two incidents in the NBA, the Houston Rockets, their owner 
tweets out something in, in support of Hong Kong. Next thing you know, China says, we're just not going to do anything with you any longer. We're going to pull all of our ads. I mean, pull all of our viewership, and we're not going to buy anything from you anymore. Of course, the NBA bends over and apologizes. Now, the Philly 76ers, the 1776ers, they have somebody in the crowd, you know, screaming out in support of Hong Kong. I think they might have been holding up, uh, you know, posters and what have you, uh, poster boards and what, whatnot. And they get ejected from the game. Now, Trey Parker and Matt Stone from South Park made an entire episode showing how ridiculous it is that people are upholding China as something to be worried about from a, from a business standpoint. And then China turned around after they just ripped on them in their cartoon and pulled all the videos, pulled all the references to South Park, got rid of all the message boards, what have you, to which Trey Parker and Matt Stone, who I love to death, said, official policy, uh, apology to China from Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Like the NBA, we welcome the Chinese censors into our homes and into our hearts. We too love money more than freedom and democracy. Xi doesn't look like Winnie the Pooh at all. Tune into our 300th episode Wednesday at 10. Long live the great Communist Party of China. May this autumn's sorghum harvest be bountiful. We good now, China? <laughs> yeah, that's basically what's been going on. Because all types of corporate fascism has happened in America. The bowing down of corporate, uh, corporate industries to China because they want their, their population as new consumers. They want that additional group of individuals that they can bring in as far as customer base goes. And they don't even care about American sovereignty, about patriotism, any of that. So I'm not going to get into that. I want to get into something no one's really dis discussed much of, and that's Blizzard Entertainment. An American company, this is from Twitchy, suspended a video gamer and took his prize money after he supported the Hong Kong protest. Blizzard Entertainment, an American video game company based in Irvine, California, suspended one of its top players and took away his prize money because the Hong Kong-based player dared to speak out in support of the Hong Kong protest. Quote from the New York Times, the world of esports had its own run-in with the Chinese politics on Tuesday when Blizzard Entertainment said it was suspending Chung Nag Wai, a Hong Kong player of the game Hearthstone, for a year and forcing him to forfeit his prize money. Mr. Chung, who uses the name Blitz Chung, had spoken out in support of Hong Kong protests during a live-streamed interview. Now, he live-streamed this on the Twitch channel, which a lot of people do. My friend David, who's uh, at Hyperion um, on Twitter, he's the one who brought this up, and he's always been a fan of the Twitch channel. A lot of gamers stream their games there. They're bowing down to the Chinese. This thread by Mark Kern really kind of sums it up. He says, and he's actually somebody who is involved with Blitz, uh, Blizzard at some point. He said, this hurts, but until Blizzard reverses their decision on Mr. Chung, I am giving up playing classic World of Warcraft, I, which I helped make and helped convince Blizzard to relaunch. There will be no Mark of Kern guild after all. So Mark Kern helped make the classic World of Warcraft and have Blizzard launch it. He said, let me explain why I am Boycott Blizzard. I am ethnically Chinese. I was born in Taiwan. I live in Hong Kong for a time. I've done business with China for many years with several gaming companies there. So I think I have valid perspective here, and I have been a team lead at Blizzard and have grown up in Asia. I've watched China slowly take over as the dominant investing force in gaming and movies over the years. It's a shame U.S. companies believe as strongly as China and Asia in investing in games well, it's a shame that U.S. companies never believed as strongly as China and Asia in investing in games, but this has allowed China to have unprecedented influence over our media. Chinese game companies have grown huge, not because of the market size, but because the government subsidizes them. They get free land, free offices, huge infusions of cash. This cash was, uh, was and is used to expand and buy up stakes in U.S. gaming companies. I have seen firsthand the corruption of Chinese gaming companies, and I was removed from a company I founded after Blizzard for refusing to take a $2 million kickback bribe to take an investment from China. This is the first time I've ever spoken about it publicly. I also seen how American company reps in China have been offered similar bribes to get licenses for large AAA titles. 
Not everyone refused like I did. Chinese companies tried to ruin my career with planted stories in the press. Money is often paid for favorable press in China, and some of that money flows here to the U.S. as well. Unfortunately, money talks. China has succeeded in infiltrating all levels of tech, gaming, and more. Unfortunately, U.S. and European companies are loath to take risk and invest in game companies legally as much as China was. It's amazing. China has remained one of the few places mid-tier studios could get funding. So again, Chinese influence grew. I'm sure this is the same for movies as well. But now we're in a situation where unlimited communist money dictates our American values. We censor our games for China. We censor our movies for China. Now game companies are silencing voices for freedom and democracy. China is dictating that the world be authoritarian. Of all the companies in the world, Blizzard is the last company I ever expected to give in to China's demands. Blizzard was always about gamer first and don't be greedy. At least it was when I was there. He said, it's one thing to keep politics out of games, which I'm still a proponent of doing. It's another to unfairly, harshly punish voices that speak out against corruption, abuses, and human rights and freedom. So this is something Gamergate was all about back during the Trump election. You know, the PC culture infecting gaming. I wonder if this is going to bring up a rise in a conservative movement or a conservative way of thought, anti-authoritarian way of, wave of thought with gamers because of this situation. But we have to realize this is what corporations are doing across the board. It's not just limited to gaming and esports. It's across the board. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning into the show. Listen to us on Mojo 50 Radio. You can find that on iHeartRadio or go to mojo50.com every Wednesday, 10 p.m. You can also listen to us on the weekends, Saturday, 5 p.m. Also, get the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, TuneIn, iHeart, Overcast, wherever podcasts are hosted. And be sure to give us a review. Give us a good five-star review that's going to help us go up in the ratings so we're more visible to others. You can also donate to the show. Go to patreon.com slash Adrian Slade Show. Give $2 a month or go to anchor.fm and search Adrian Slade. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Gab, MeWe, Parler, Convo, Snippy. Search Adrian Slade. Follow us on Twitter at Rants Out Loud or at Adrian Slade Show, which is the official show page on Twitter. And you can also read the blog, adriansladeshow.com. You can also get the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel in your streaming store on the Roku streaming channel store. Be sure to download the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in.